Today on CyberWork, returning guest Ken Jenkins stops by to talk about his work as the head coach of the U.S. Cyber Games. If you're intrigued by this emerging esport, you're going to want to keep it here. Ken discusses the selection process for the athletes, the role of the coaches and mentors in the competitions, and the intense real-time collaboration going on during the events. Polish up those tools and get ready to break in. It's CyberWork. Welcome to this week's episode of the CyberWork with InfoSec podcast. Each week, we talk with a different industry thought leader about cybersecurity trends, the way those trends affect the work of InfoSec professionals, while offering tips for breaking in or moving up the ladder in the cybersecurity industry. Our guest today, Ken Jenkins, brings more than 26 years of information technology and cybersecurity expertise to his work in red teaming, penetration testing, threat hunting, threat emulation, incident response, and systems engineering. Uh, Ken is a decorated combat veteran and retired soldier. His active duty responsibilities covered operations and defense of DOD networks and battle command systems. Some of his assignments included a variety of combat units, the Army's Criminal Investigation Command, Army Cyber Command, United States Cyber Command, and the National Security Agency. Uh, Ken regularly complete, competes in uh, Capture the Flag competitions, and uh, as we are about to find out, he is currently about to be the head coach of the U.S. Cyber Games uh, for the Season 2, which is, is, is starting now and is going to be going through 2023. Uh, he earned his B.S. in Technical Management from DeVry University and holds over 30 commercial certifications, including CISSP, OSCP, and many more. Uh, I had Ken on... Uh, year before and uh, we had a really great time and i'm very interested in the u.s cyber game so let's find out some more uh ken welcome to cyberwork hey thanks chris appreciate it thanks for having me again uh my pleasure so since you're a return guest to the show listeners can tune into your past episode to hear your origin story i would like to start with an origin story but you had a very good one uh, about how you got into cybersecurity and so forth. So I encourage folks to listen to that as well. Uh, it will be on the exam. So, however, it has been almost two and a half years since then, and you've accomplished a lot in the meantime. So uh, you were the CTO of Biolite when we last talked, and then you also uh, springboarded into AWS for a while and then became VP Cybersecurity and Resilience Ser uh, Services uh, for Security Scorecard since July of this year. So uh, this one was a new one to me, so I had to look it up. Security Scorecard is, quote, the global leader in cybersecurity ratings with more than 12 million companies continuously rated. So Ken, can you tell me about how Security Scorecard works, how you go about rating these companies, what type of data and reporting you do as an organization, and, and what this sort of data is used for by your customers? Sure, Chris. Thanks. So um, Security Scorecard is a ratings platform. Um, that ratings platform is built um, by collecting large amounts of data. Mm -hmm. And some of the data we collect uh, through various mechanisms uh, are what we bring together. We enrich that data and we're able to score companies based on their cybersecurity uh, posture and hygiene. So uh, we use active uh, some active uh, techniques, which include service discovery, content capture, fingerprinting, uh, configuration, enumeration, uh, different types of botnet, botnet integration, certificate uh, discovery from like uh, you know SSL or HTTPS enabled sites, um, and name resolution through DNS. Um, and then on the passive side, we use uh, honey nets, honey pots, sinkholes, uh, passive DNS. Uh, advertising uh, exchanges and spam senders, different types of credential uh, 
dumps from breaches, and of course, different emails, uh, email uh, information we have access to. And then uh, we also look at different ways networks are partitioned on the internet, whether they're uh, in different autonomous system numbers or they're um, uh, their commercial networks or, or or private networks. And then, of course, we look at any stale records that we can find on the internet. And we take all this data and we compile it and we get a better understanding of attack surface intelligence mm -hmm. uh, to help us rate companies. Um, and so currently we have 12 million companies that we have indexed on that we're able to provide scoring for. Um, if there's another company that doesn't exist in those 12 million that we index on, we can quickly uh, pull up the data through some verification of uh, IP addresses or domains. Mm -hmm. um, so phenomenal product. I do consider it a best in breed product. Um, I'm not just saying that because I work here. I'm saying that because I see how delighted our customers are with our platform. Mm -hmm. um, and on top of that, we also have additional modules that we use um, to provide even more data. When mm -hmm. you're sitting on this type of data, you you you, you know, I you really feel like we're also a a, a pretty uh, advanced threat intel uh, platform uh, mm -hmm. based on just the sheer amount of collection right. and enrichment that we do. Um, so yeah, that, that's a little bit about the product. Yeah. What? So, uh, just for a, a newbie like myself, like what, when people are using your your customers are using your platform uh, to evaluate, is it, is this sort of like they're they're checking out potential vendors or potential collaborators, and they're getting a sense of how secure they are? Is that is that sort of what the what the purpose of it is? That's exactly right. So what okay. we do is a customer can log in. Um, and they can look at their risks or their their attack mm -hmm. surface um, and get a ratings, but they can also uh, add other companies um, mm -hmm. that they have uh, business relationships, business to business. Maybe they're a supplier, but somewhere they're either a third party or fourth party fourth fourth party vendor. Mm -hmm. Um, they need to do business with in some capacity or want to gain insights too. So um, within Security Scorecard, they can actually uh, set that up and configure their networks of companies that they want to monitor. Right. So, uh, you could think about for, there's various reasons why you'd want to do that. One is for um, like manufacturing. One could be for ins insurance underwriting. Mm-hmm. All types of mergers and acquisitions and investments. So that's precisely what our platforms uh, can be used for. Gotcha. So yeah, and and with the continuous aspect of it, I wonder does that mean that like uh, like a project manager or something would kind of you know have this this set of you know companies or or apps or equipments or whatever that we're working with, and you're checking to make sure that nothing crazy is happening with this new thing that you're you're building out of maybe open source parts or whatever. No, that's no, exactly right. So they mm -hmm. can uh, monitor their their scores and see them go up and down. Mm -hmm. and, uh, certainly, you could take action um, as as a score goes up and down in your in your vendor portfolio. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, also, do you, yeah. Do you should do you do you have enough? Uh, like, if if you were to look up your own company and then you know gasp and clutch your pearls or whatever because there's something really wrong is do you does the is there enough information on your site to you know give that company the wherewithal to sort of like figure out and patch their own problems I, yes mm -hmm. I, obviously there's there's more to uh the product um right support wise it's not a it i, I wouldn't only use it as your as the source for determining that but sure, it, of course it, it's definitely a dead giveaway mm -hmm. uh, when you're looking across vendor risk management. Um, yep. 
and you see a company that you know maybe is has a, a score lower than your rest of your companies that you're monitoring is definitely can uh, uh give you early indications and warnings right yeah that makes sense yeah i don't want <laughs> i don't want to take this uh, piece of technology and turn it into you know seinfeld's tip calculator or whatever yeah. <laughs> <You> know, um <laughs> uh so uh, i guess uh, turning to your your role within the uh, the company can you tell me about your own work as uh, the vp cybersecurity and resilient services for security scorecard like i know you said you have a, a pretty big team that you uh, that you manage but what are some of your average tasks strategies programs or problems to be solved in uh, average uh, weeks work yeah, absolutely. So um, in February of 2022, we acquired a company called LifeRs. And LifeRs was an instant response, forensics, and uh, a penetration testing uh, organization. So offered professional services. Um, they had been around for eight years prior to the acquisition and had built up a pretty uh, a pretty substantial capability in that space. So uh, with security scorecard, there was always customers asking for, Hey, I, you know, I, we, we, you, we have ratings, you have a lot of access to our data. Um, you may have access to some of our compliance uh, documents through your, uh, through your questionnaires and Atlas and where you store your, where you store the data that we upload. Um, but if we have a cybersecurity uh, requirement, uh, maybe as advisory consulting or one of the services you offer, um, can can you help us with that? And so mm -hmm. now we can do that. And so not not only can we do that, but both companies are, you know, as we as we uh, integrate them, both companies are better for it. So um, now now it's Security Scorecard, right? There's no more life wars, and it's it's one and the same. So um, this has enhanced our cybersecurity service offering. So we we offer a handful of services. I'll, I'll go through those. But um, the fact that we have access to the ratings, to attack surface intelligence, and all the uh, cyber risk intelligence ca capability within the company, I believe it differentiates and uh, enhances our professional service offerings as well. Hmm. Um, so we offer penetration testing, red teaming, vulnerability assessments. So that's one of the teams gotcha. that uh, was in with, that resides in professional services. Then we have our team that manages Jumpstart. So Jumpstart is a program uh, that we started recently to help onboard our customers to the platform. As we've added more modules, um, added more capability to the to the platform, um, the sophistication of the platform has went up substantially. And to get the best bang for the buck out of the product, we stood up a Jumpstart program that helps onboard customers and help help establish security scorecard inside their vendor risk management uh, program. Hmm. So mm -hmm. that's two teams. The third team is uh, conducts uh, instant response and forensics. So very hmm. similar to, you know, responded to a breach, respond to a ransomware attack, will help a customer through either a retainer or through, uh, they, they call our 911 number, and we help them out right in the middle of the crisis. So we will we'll help them uh, negotiate ransoms, we'll help them recover from a breach. Um, and we provide that to our customers and to uh, non non platform customers as a as a professional service. Wow, cool. Yeah, that's uh, yeah, and, and that that lines up so well with everything I know about your your background in terms of uh, things that you're excited about and good at, and and I like that you now you have these sort of like these sort of massive teams that can sort of provide all of that stuff for for the company. So thank you for the the summary there. So sure. uh, so Ken, I wanted to ask, I have you on the show today uh, because I 
saw on LinkedIn that you had gotten involved with something that I think our listeners are going to be very excited to hear more about. Uh, and that namely is your work as head coach for the U.S. Cyber Games. So that sounds fun. I'll start with the basics. What are the U.S. Cyber Games? What's the purpose? How long has it been running? And what do you do exactly in your role as head coach? Sure. So the U.S. Cyber Games, uh, think of it as like a traveling team mm-hmm. that competes uh, internationally. Um, and the team is is comprised of uh, young adults. We call them athletes. They're mm-hmm. 18 to 25 years old. Okay. Uh, generally, they're graduating uh, college. Um, but we have some high schoolers on the team as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so 18 to 25, like I said, and um, they can compete in Jeopardy style CTFs, capture the flag events. Um, with a focus on uh, cryptography, uh, binary exploitation or pwn. Um, they have forensics challenges. They have web application security challenges um, or reversing um, re- reverse engineering or malware. So those are those are generally the topics that you'll see in Capture the Flag events. So we, our team is comprised of athletes that have specialties in those events. Mm-hmm. But then we also uh, use the same team to compete in red versus blue challenges. So that's oh, yeah. like, you know, offense versus defense in real time. Mm-hmm. So uh, we'll do that um, also during events. So capture the flag events, then the the, the uh, red versus blue challenges. Um, and so we do that on, on, friend, on friendly, you know, a friendly competition, or we will do that actually competition for something with stakes. So the US Cyber Games is in a second season. So yep. I'm season two's, uh, I'm the coach for season two. Yep. Uh, last year, season one, the team competed and uh, they went to the International Cyber uh, Cyber Cyber Challenge within our competition mm-hmm. within Athens, Greece. So the head coach then was uh, a guy named a very very brilliant guy named T.J. O'Connor. Um, so T.J. took the team from nothing all the way to international cyber competition and took third place in the world. Wow. So I have some. Very, very large shoes to fill. And, uh, yeah. you know, I I pinched myself that, you know, I was nominated in the committee to select me to be season to be the season two head coach. Um, so this year so far, uh, we've had an, an open event similar to the NFL. You have an open event yep. um, where athletes come and they compete. And then you have a combine event where you come and you compete and you're observed by the coaching staff, by the technical mentors. Um, then we had a combine class shortly after that. Then we had interviews after that. And then what you saw online was our actual draft. So we had a live in-person draft down at the Commerce Building in uh, Washington, D.C. Um, and many of our sponsors helped helped us set that up. Uh, with CISA and NICE being some of our major sponsors. But the website really showcases uh, who our sponsors are. I mean, I'm, I'm tickled. Tickled pink every day when I look at our sponsor uh, who, who support us, but yeah. that enables the team to do these great events and travel. Um, and then the committee uh, for the U.S. Cyber Games is a company uh, called Cat's Eye, and mm-hmm. Cat's Eye really provides the staff that, that helps out the coaches and technical mentors. All the coaches and technical mentors are volunteers, so the Cat's Eye team is really behind the scenes uh, that makes all this possible. And they're, they're really the the might behind all this. So, um, yeah, that's that's a little bit about the the U.S. Cyber Games. Phenomenal team. Uh, we I, I should probably elaborate. So we drafted 30 athletes. 
Mm -hmm. these three athletes come from some of the best schools in the U.S. Okay. Um, I mean, they, these, these uh, athletes generally have many, many CTFs and red versus blue challenges under their belt way before they were ever involved mm-hmm. with uh, the U.S. cyber games. And so they're, they're pretty seasoned in what they do. I mean, they're hobbyists at heart, and, and many of them have the academic uh, prowess to back up their, uh, what they do as hobbies. But it, you know, I, it's, it's truly an e-sport that we yeah. have, uh, you know, we have very good support. Um, so we started with 80, around 83, I might be off by a couple on there, but we started off about 80, 80 athletes. We narrowed it down to 30 for, to make the team. Okay. Have another 20, 20 ish, uh, uh, athletes that we put in our training development pipeline for okay. next year to prep. So we right. always have, uh, we're always invested in talent for the next season's company. Yeah. Kind of like a farm team or something, I guess. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll, I'll tell you that farm team, that that training development pipeline that we have them in is is a phenomenal uh, idea because they get to mimic what the actual team is doing. They yep. get to compete in open challenges. Um, they get similar training to the to the the actual cyber games team. So um, it's a it's a great concept, and I'm super yeah. stoked to be involved with it. I love that. Yeah, no, they they get they get all the uh, the challenges without necessarily having all the eyes on them, so they can maybe take bigger swings and not have to worry about like, you know, I went down a, a weird rabbit hole and now I've you know <laughs> I've lost us for Absolutely. the U.S. team. Yeah, that's cool. I love that. Um, yeah, so I was looking at the um, the different subdivisions. Can you tell me the respective roles of team captains and especially the travel team versus the virtual team? Yeah. So the travel, the, the virtual, well, let me start with the team captain. So yep. while, while we do have coaches, um, head coach, assistant coach, technical mentors, um, yep. junior mentors, you, junior mentors are usually returning athletes that have aged out of the program. They're a part of the staff to help mentor our athletes. <clears throat> so that, that's, that's a bit about the coaching staff. Um, and many of our coaching staff or or technical mentors teach at some of the most prestigious prestigious schools in in the u.s mm-hmm. um, for instance uh, the assistant coach dane brown dr dane brown he's a professor at the naval academy uh, mm-hmm. here in uh, maryland so uh, we're 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 so lucky to have him and yeah. many of the many of the coaching staff have similar backgrounds um so you know we mm-hmm. we have we have many of the uh the challenge types uh, covered throughout our coaching staff and our technical mentors. Now, so you ask about the traveling team. So that's the team that will actually go um, to different countries or travel across the U.S. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this year we're going to focus a little more on having international uh, country, international or, or other countries join us here in the U.S. Right. Um, we recently finished up um a competition in uh, in Vienna, Austria, where uh, for Anisa there were 27 European countries that it, that uh, participated in this event, and there were four friendlies that were invited. So that was the United Arab Emirates, uh, the Canadians, the U.S., and um, and Israelis. Mm-hmm. So you know, 30, 31, 31 countries participated in that. So. Wow. Um, those events are happening more frequently now. So the traveling team will actually uh, attend those events and compete. Some of those you, some of those our team can win, and some there we're just as a guest. And we do the same thing with our events as well. 
right. and then the virtual team can uh, compete uh, without having to travel on site. So that's really the that's really the big difference in uh, yeah. the difference in our, our cyber game breakout. Are, are there is there a specific in person you know events that the traveling team only can participate in and then virtual only ones that the virtual ones can, or is it like the traveling team is there and the virtual team are also there, but just sort of like virtually working on the same challenges and such. In in theory, that was the goal, but really it's uh, we're going to task organize as appropriate to be competitive, but Mm -hmm. we have, like I said, we have the 30 athletes on the team and then we have the 20 or so athletes within the the development uh, pipeline. Cool. Uh, so yeah, I had planned to watch the draft for season two of the U.S. Cyber Team a few weeks back, but it <laughs> happened to be the one day in the past six months that my internet decided to go out neighborhood wide. So, uh, can you talk about what happened at the draft? You said, you, I mean, you talked about the sort of like the the um, you know the various competitions leading up to and the interviews and the and the you know sort of winnowing things down a little bit like that, but. Um, uh, like what were, what were some of the things when you get down to like choosing your, your team? Like what are, what are some of the things you're looking for when drafting a team? I mean, do you, is this something where like a football team, like you're looking to get like all the different positions filled? Uh, do you have a lot of different specializations? So before we started this, this season, we came together as coaches with the cat's eye staff and, and we asked ourselves, what does the perfect athlete look like to be on uh, the U.S. Uh, cyber team, and w- w- there was a few things we said. We want we want well-rounded athletes. We wanted to have a diverse team. Uh, mm-hmm. We wanted to be very inclusive. It was not win at all cost, mm-hmm. but we wanted to be highly competitive where we could. Right. So yes. we looked at the uh, the different categories of capture the flag events. And we, and we kind of broke out the skills necessary for each of those events. So, you know, earlier I talked about cryptography. I talked about uh, forensics, reverse and reverse engineering, uh, binary exploitation and web app, web application or uh, uh, security. And mm-hmm. so those are dis- different disciplines, even uh, after college. Right. Or after right. academia. Um, so we want to make sure our team was well-rounded and to be able to figure that out. We had the open event, we had the combine, we had a combine clash and interviews. Yep. So we were collecting data throughout that entire life cycle of those events. Um, we were looking at, you know, the skills, the soft skills, the hard skills. Uh, we're looking at the, the the data we have from last year where the team could have done a little better maybe. And we, tried, you know, we took those lessons learned and that's really how we started with uh, building, building the team this year. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, because the great sponsors we have, um, we were able to have uh, captured a flag platforms and events mm-hmm. that we could put the athletes on to gauge uh, their performance and their, the depth of their skill sets um, and how they could support our team this year. So um, between between assessing their skills, I talked about their soft skills, their ability to lead, um, their ability to work with each other, um, and then representing the U.S. That is important to us. So yeah. on national stage, we want people who represent our country as well. So that's that's really uh, what we the, the 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 kind of perspective we started with. And then uh, before the draft, we had all this data, and then. We gave the technical mentors uh, a chance and some of the team leads 
from season one a chance to come in and provide their observations along with this massive amounts of data we collected over various weeks. And we were doing this late at night. Um, like the combine, for instance, was anywhere from five or six at night till midnight, based on what time zone you're in. And we did this all week uh, during the combine. So we had a good amount of data. And then each can each athlete was um was interviewed by coaching staff. So mm-hmm. be the coaching staff or the technical mentors. Um, so we had a really good picture of where we stood on our athletes. Yep. So then the day before the draft, we came through and we validated um, at the coaches summit. And that's how we, we picked the team hmm. uh, and we racked and stacked the team and, and broke them down into their categories. And that's what you saw on draft day. Um, I, I could not think of a more equitable uh, data-driven method for uh, choosing athletes to represent the U.S. I'm thoroughly impressed with what Cat's Eye was able to capture um, during the event and then what the technical mentors um, and, and coaches uh, were able to agree upon. It, it was it was actually a well-thought-out, uh, well-executed draft. And so the day of the draft was we, we drafted by categories, um, I'm jumping ahead of myself. So we also mm-hmm. we had, we're fortunate to have some pretty pretty uh, phenomenal keynote speakers. Mm-hmm. So, um, along with the keynote speakers, the way the draft went, the excitement from the athletes and the, and those that are, um, are in the development pipeline. I just I it was just a great success. Um, looking forward to getting the season started. Yeah. Oh, I'm excited to hear more about that. So, um, again, you know, you, you told us about the sort of um, the delineations of the different uh, athletes and, you know, the teams and team departments or team specialties or whatever. Um, so what are some of the challenges the team faced in, uh, you know, in, in the past season and how as as head coach do you assist them in this? So I'm I'm trying to get a sense in my head of like when competitions are happening are the the coaches and the mentors and stuff with them and like advising them as problems are being solved or is your role basically over once the competition starts and you're kind of running drills beforehand and, and kind of getting them ready. And then you just kind of stand back and and sort of watch them go. Yeah. So there there was multiple questions there. So I'll start with the first one. So season one, Mm -hmm. so season one, obviously it started from scratch. So Mm -hmm. the team, the team that built uh, season one, they had much different challenges to overcome, right? Mm-hmm. First, they had to get the word out. They had to get athletes involved. I, I am, I was shocked and, and, and impressed at how well they did that. Mm-hmm. Um, also, they had to grow to sponsors. Um, they had to get the grants um, for, for to be able to stand up the team. So that, that was a pretty uh, uh, daunting challenge in itself. So, Season two, we're starting with a, a bit more maturity from that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they, they, there was a lot more groundwork to, to lay um, in season one. Season two, we're picking up from their successes and we're able to start optimizing and, and, and building on top of that. So they pioneered this. Now now we're we're kind of taking it to, to the next level and, and being a little more pr- programmatic um, on how we run the team. So, um, you I think the second part of your question was about the the coaching staff. Was was that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Just trying to get a sense of of what the coaching staff does, like before the competitions, and then very during the competitions. Yeah, so very similar to like um, a sporting event, right? 
Mm-hmm. You know, if you're practicing or you're doing skills, skills assessments and drills, the coaching staff is on the field with you mm-hmm. um, or they're in a the weight room with you. Right. Um, and, and, and you're learning from them based on, you know, things that they've done in their past or maybe in their career. But when the competition starts, the athletes run the show within the event. Yes. Um, certainly they can take timeouts. They can come talk to us, mm-hmm. but our goal is to prepare them, equip them, enable them, um, to actually have competition and be able to travel and whatnot. But amongst them, they will, they will appoint their own team captain. Um, and usually that team captain, uh, kind of grows itself out of the team and then, uh, athletes rally behind that captain and, uh, you know, kind of, kind of like in the military, take, take all the commands from the tower, but they right. still they still have the um, the freedom to you know the the freedom to uh, work amongst each other as well. Right. Um, so you you were spot on. Mm-hmm. Um, the coaches and the technical mentors are there to prepare them and get them to the events and help them after the events. Mm-hmm. But in game or in competition, they're really led by themselves. Right. Okay. That's, that's perfect. That's exactly what I was, what I was curious about. Now you, you mentioned a little bit of team communication and so forth. Now I'm, again, I'm, I'm, I'm approaching this from having just learned about it a couple of weeks ago here, but um, you know, I'm, I'm assuming that there's sort of multiple challenges happening at once. So you have like the specialty people who are working on reverse engineering over here, people who are working on red teaming or blue teaming over here. Is there a lot of cross specialty conversation? Like if, this person's working on this challenge and then someone over here says, Hey, I need your, your cryptography know-how on this thing that I'm working on over here. Is there a lot of that? Or is it, is it more like a, um, like a track and field where it's like, first we do the red team, then we do the pen test, then we do the uh, reverse engineering, then we do the CTFs then we do this and that. And that. Yeah. So with the capture of flag, the capture to flag events, and we, you know, you'll hear us referred to as jeopardy style capture to flag events. Yeah. Oftentimes those events are all each of the challenges within an event or released all at once. Right. Mm-hmm. And so based on those other categories I mentioned earlier, um, there will be different disciplines on the team that will work on certain challenges at the same time as some of the other team members work on other challenges. So, um, and you know, you're, you're just bouncing ideas off each other. Um, you know, they're they're in discord talking to each other. They're sharing artifacts that they've discovered. They're asking each other techniques they're, it, it, so there. So there is a lot of real time collaboration going on. Mm-hmm. But yes, there is a there is a bit of discipline required to complete some of the challenges. Yeah. Uh, where you where you put certain expertise on those challenges until they solve them. So I imagine this is the case where the team captains are doing sort of the allocating of tasks like the, you know, the challenge comes down and they say, you take care of this part and you take care of this part and and ask, you know, let me know if you're having problems. And then you sort of start the communication that way. No, that is spot on. That is, yeah. that is pretty much exactly how, how it works. Cool. And it is a bit of controlled chaos. I imagine. Uh, yeah. But like, like I mentioned earlier, many of these athletes, this is, this is not their first, this is not their fifth. This is probably in their 10th time competing wow. in these events because many of the uh, athletes either through academia or in their early careers, they've been doing this. They've been doing this for years. Uh, yeah. Many computer science, computer engineering, uh, uh, different universities have captured the flag teams. Um, they, they, mm-hmm. they do the same thing as a U.S. cyber game. So 
we're fortunate enough to have some of the best from each of those teams that that make up our team. Yeah, now that that was a question I was going to ask next because I'm assuming that every single you know there's a lot of these competitors that have been doing this for a long time now. Um, but the U.S. Cyber Game specifically is only sort of two seasons old. So, are you kind of the new kids on the block at this point? Are are there new sort of seasons, leagues, whatever, sort of springing up all the time? How does and how does that sort of um, match you up against? Uh, you know, you're talking about other countries like you know, like Israel or Germany or whatever, like. How does that uh, match up with um, like if you have a team that's been doing this for five, seven years? Do they have like a, a big sort of advantage in that regard? Sure. So I I think uh, you're probably aware there's a lot of CTFs or red versus blue challenges. Oh, yeah. Um, at, at different conferences, you know, DEF CON, Black Hat. Uh, mm-hmm. And their CTF time, you can go on there and you can see all many of the CTFs that are happening across the across the globe at any given time. So it's it's definitely not a new concept. Now, uh, coming together under one flag here in the U.S. is a new concept. So there's right. been schools schools competing against each other, the conferences competing each other, companies, uh, staff and teams to go compete at events. Got it. This is definitely not a new thing. Uh, I would say as far as organizing under a flag or a guide on, or, you know, for the country, that's a much different uh, approach. Um, in our approach to how we uh, where we where we uh, get athletes from 18 to 25. Right. Mm-hmm. We're, we're not looking to take the industry's best practitioners in, in mid career or late in their career and put them on this team. You know, think about the way Team USA was formed for the you know NBA well, from the NBA and anyone competed internationally. We're not. That's what that. I was just going to ask is this, if this is like the, like the U S Olympic, like basketball team or something like that. Like you have all these other teams and they're coming together for this specific purpose. Okay. That makes more yeah, sense. So before we would use colleges for that, right? The best athletes before they became professionals. That's yep. pretty much what we're doing here. We're, we're, we're not looking for uh, someone mid or late career to be on the team. We're looking mm-hmm. really this as a, a career development, uh, career development uh, process for our athletes. Okay. So um, can you give me a brief example or summary of some of the types of challenges that you're trying, that you tend to try to solve in these? Like, uh, and again, I'm, 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 I'm trying to get a sense of like the moving parts involved in the challenges. Um, and, you know, um, like you said, they're, they're, they're dumping a lot all at, all at the same time. Is it, if you have like seven different things in your challenge, uh, is there a, a progression where you have to solve this to allow you to solve this to allow you to solve this, or can they all be sort of solved independently and and you're just graded on like once they're all done? Yeah, so that that is CTF dependent, but many CTFs release the challenges, um, and you you go through and you know target up, target down, and you get a score, right? Yep. yep. Um, some have multiple steps to them where mm-hmm. you. Uh, where you have to gain initial access. And then as you, as you are more successful in the scenario, the flags or the objectives that you, uh, you get through, have a higher points value, right? Mm-hmm. So it, it's not always one scenario, one points, one, one level of points, right? Um, it could be multiple stages that get you uh, incremental points. As yeah. you through. So yes, you, you're, you're spot on with that. Uh, and then the, Red versus blue challenges, those are, hey, I have a vulnerable application that I must defend, but I must keep that application up while a determined adversary is trying to take it down. 
And if they take it down, it violates my service level agreement. And if my service level agreement is impacted, I start losing points. So while I'm trying to keep that vulnerable application up, I'm also having to attack the other team to do the same thing. Right. Okay. This is real time red versus blue scenarios um, where, where, again, you're competing with the service level agreement. You're competing mm-hmm. with the determined adversary. And then you're also having to respond fr- from an offensive capability. So you can also score against the other team. Okay. So um, those are kind of the two types of uh, CTF or CT or competitions you'll see. Mm-hmm. Um, but the first one, the capture the flag events, those are those are generally categories that are released. Yep. And then based on complexity or difficulty, they have different scoring. Um, so you know, easier challenges uh, score less. More complex have multiple scores, and so you'll see different strategies where. Uh, maybe your team is has more skills in, let's say, cryptography. So they go after the very challenging cryptography challenges to get points very quickly. Ah, uh, yes, yes, okay. Um, because you, you you got a good sense that you could get the lower scores, so um, spend effort on the harder ones, and then yeah, see- and then whoop out the other ones, right? Okay, yeah. okay. So exactly. it is all it is all points. Like I'm assuming there's enough challenges that get thrown at you in a competition that you're not gonna like completely wipe the board clean of them like does anyone ever like get them all in the same time no, no. and, and yeah, also it's it's almost also how long are the competitions right right some are just a, a handful of hours some are multiple days mm. uh, some of them have different phases so yeah. it, it, it all depends but uh majority of ctfs all events do not get completed by one team got it Okay. Um, now, uh, thinking, uh, and again, I'm apolo- apologize if these are kind of new questions, but um, like, so I, I know the CTFs obviously are are things that are kind of pre-created as like a puzzle to be solved ultimately from multiple inputs and so forth. But like, so for like red team versus blue team challenge, is that more just, is that really just head to head competition in that you're just like throwing your offense and holding your defense in whatever way necessary? Are there certain like protocols that are or, like rules that are set up in advance or is it, is it more like, I don't know, like, uh, you know, more like soccer or like high ally where you're just like, you're just trying to push forward and the other people are trying to push back and then you're pushing back push forward. No, I mean, it's, it is real time, uh, exploitation, real time defense. Yep. Real time denial of service degree, uh, you know, for attacking is denying, degrading, destroying, like, but within the rules of engagement for the event. Right. And before one of those events kicks off, it's very clear what the rules of engagements are. For instance, you will not block the scoring bot. The scoring bot uh, must have yeah. access to your to your application <laughs> that you have a service yeah. level agreement, right? So yeah, you can't don't be a dingus. <laughs> don't, 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 don't cheap out. Yeah. <laughs> right. And you also can't hack the infrastructure that's hosting the challenges, right? So there, there yeah. are definitely rules of engagement um, that, that really kind of drive the scenarios. Mm-hmm. Um, there, obviously, there's uh, staff during Capture the Flag or Red versus Blue challenges that are watching for those uh, rules violations or, or like foul balls. Got it. Okay, so yeah, so I guess I, I, the more I think about it, maybe like chess would be like a more apt description for red versus blue. Where yeah, okay, so you're always always on both defense and offense. Okay, that's cool. Um, but you're but there's but it's not like a thing where where like 
the red versus blue is, you know, we want you to use this specific channel or we want to see if you can do it in this specific kind of way or anything like that. It's 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 up to the teams to decide how they want to attack and how they want to defend, right? That is, as long as they're within the rules of engagement and they uh, are paying attention to how scoring is done. Because remember, mm-hmm. you can lose points by your service being down. Right. Um, or you can gain points by taking the other team's service down. Yes. Um, and then also based on how much uptime your service has. So there's constantly like scoring going up and down. Um, and you have different methods of doing both. So, yeah, yeah exactly. Okay, so I'm sure we have a lot of listeners right now who might be uh, students or learners who are biting at the bit to find out how they could possibly get involved uh, in the U.S. cyber games in some capacity. So what are the criteria for acceptance, either as athletes or or coaches or mentors? I see, uh, you know, as you said before, you narrow the field from 500 to 70 to 25. So uh, can anyone sign up for those those early scrimmages? Is it invite only? Do you go through like schools um or can you sort of like apply yourself in as like a a free agent that's a really good question i get asked this all the time so um for joining the team itself to be an athlete on the team Mm -hmm. um, that is a competitive selection process which we discussed earlier right Mm -hmm. so we will advertise when next year's open is and next year's combine so watch you know we'll follow us uh, U.S. Cyber Games and U.S. Cyber Team for for uh, announcements on that. Also, the U.S. Cyber Games website is a perfect perfect place for information. Um, we're on all all different types of socials, right? Whether it's LinkedIn, Twitter, um, so it, it easy, very easy now to keep up with uh, U.S. Cyber Games and specifically the U.S. Cyber Team. So, for coaching, um, the head coach and the uh, uh, assistant coach, that is a nominative position. So you get nominated, nominated, and then the committee uh, interviews you, and then they select you. So those two, those two positions uh, have a have a, a different mechanism getting selected. And the technical mentors, we're really looking for technical mentors with experience in capture flag events, uh, red versus blue, or in specific uh, technologies or, or mm-hmm. types of technology. For instance, I mentioned. Uh, crypto. I mentioned forensics. I mentioned web application security. So we're we're looking for uh, technical ministers that have great depth in those uh, in those uh, categories or specialties. So yeah. um, that that these are all volunteer positions. We're always looking to add additional uh, staff. Um, mm-hmm. Being is volunteer volunteer only staff. So um, yeah, that's you know, reach out reach out reach out to myself. Reach out well, to Assistant coach, the Cat's Eyes staff, any of our technical mentors, um, you know, Cat's Eyes has done a great job of of, of uh, showing how to get involved. And mm-hmm. I think uh, one of the ways that that many could get involved, anyone listening today, is through sponsorship. That is mm-hmm. that is a substantial way to help the team. Uh, also, you get a good bit of uh, uh, interaction with with the with the athletes that the, the yeah. mentors and staff and uh you know you'll be on our website you'll be on our logos you'll you'll, you'll be on our jerseys yep. and you'll be there rooting along the team so always looking for more sponsors jerseys we got jerseys folks we they got jerseys. jerseys i we love it jerseys. we have polos we have pullovers 
Um, yeah, the team is the team has some nice swag. That's nice for merch. Sure. All right. Um, can you uh, uh, talk uh, in a in a sort of educational way about some of the ways that the skills honed while competing in these cyber games map to the types of challenges that cyber security professionals of the next several decades will face? I mean, I'm sure this event is fun, but I'm guessing it's not just for fun. Um, so, like, I guess first, like, are are, are these uh, um, challenges sort of built to sort of solve the types of problems that you would see in, you know, in, in future careers. And also like, I guess also in like, what is the challenge level of these versus are, are they like similar to like what actual challenges you would, you would have in a, in a, a business or, or federal sure. or military situation? So, so I think, yeah, good question, Chris. So I think historically um, you would, you could get a degree um, and then you could go learn how to do your job. Right. Mm -hmm. um, but you may not have uh, dedicated hands on or be comfortable. Yes. Um, on day one of starting a new job. Right. So um, also, since cybersecurity is ever evolving, uh, what we were doing last year, the year before is substantially different from what we're doing even this month. Right. Mm -hmm. So um, being able to continuously hone your skills through competition and through a team of events, I think really helps overcome, you know, something I think plagues our industry is an imposter syndrome, right? Yeah. So you can actually come out and compete with like-minded uh, folks, similar academic backgrounds, maybe similar, don't have to be similar, mm -hmm. but you, 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 and, and you can try your hand against all these different specialties and capture the flag events or the more real time uh, red versus blue challenges. So, um, to answer your question, does it help? It helps substantially. Mm -hmm. The confidence, um, you know, learning learning to write code in a computer science class, but never dealing with a determined adversary in it during a uh, incident response. That, that 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 that's quite a gap to to close from. Yes, being in a classroom. Um, so do, doing things like that um, in in a you know, in a challenge, a real time, real live event um, definitely builds up confidence. Um, it prepares you for, for those those moments when you when you are working somewhere and providing a company that level of uh, that that level of, of skill. Mm -hmm. Also, many of the athletes will go on to work at product companies, cybersecurity yep. companies. You know, they may help with data science. They may develop behavioral analytics, maybe machine learning, AI from what they have, uh, from what they've learned through capture the flag events or reverse mm -hmm. challenges. Um, so it, it it's it just moves the whole uh, profession forward, in my opinion. Yeah. And I guess that probably also ensures that if you have this particularly intensive type of hands-on experience as you're a student and as you're moving towards your first jobs, that you're probably going to almost naturally start in a higher position than you would otherwise, because you have such a demonstrated, demonstrated sort of range of, of skills Is that, I mean, no, that's, that's, that's similar. Similar. Mm -hmm. yeah. I mean, so you, you've now, you now have demonstrated academic uh, success You've also uh, showed your willingness to compete and do something either before, before or after hours in your career. Mm -hmm. uh, it's constantly honing your skills. Um, it's like an athlete. You you know you don't 
you don't go to the gym for a couple of weeks, um, you, you you start feeling the degradation, right? No, no different in cybersecurity. So yep. I, I think it the confidence building, the workforce development that uh, U.S. Cyber Games is responsible for is is phenomenal. Yeah, well, that's that's great. That goes to my next question uh, in terms of, as you say, exercising that muscle or those muscles. So uh, one of the things we feature on our InfoSec Resources uh, website over the years uh, is we have authors who will do walkthroughs of decommissioned CTFs and sort of showing what techniques they used and how they got to the end. Uh, you know, and obviously there's a million ways you can do any challenge. So it's just one of one of several, but it's kind of like a like a hint book if you're really stuck. So for listeners who, uh, you know, unlike those in my previous question, who are very confident, aren't as confident in their skills at these types of challenges, but who want to get better. Do you have any advice for how to break through tricky problems when you hit the wall? Do you have like sort of like like cool down, rethink sort of, re, you know, uh, redirect, you know, strategies for people when they get really you know, when they start grinding their gears on, on hard things? This is precisely what we run into with the U.S. cyber team, right? Is yeah. um, some of these challenges, they've just never seen them before. They're so obscure. Mm. Um, maybe the technology they run into wasn't, it was nowhere in their, uh, you know, in their career thus far or in their academic program. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's some, some of the coping mechanisms are, you know, taking a deep breath, backing away. Um, taking a break, uh, also leveraging folks around you. Yes. Like, hey, I'm struggling with this. Um, here's what I've tried. What, what you'll find in uh, the, the profession of cybersecurity is, is many people are willing to help you if you've exerted effort first. Yes. Right. So if you if you've if you've exerted effort and it is logic is a logical sound approach, but you're stuck, generally someone will help you. But if you're just throwing your hands up and and uh, yeah, like having, you know, one of the things I like about the, the the company Offense Security is they had this they have this mantra that to try harder, right? Yep. And many years ago, when I was going through the OSCP certification, I, I it frustrated me to no end, but it taught me to fish. Like it, it didn't just give me give me what I needed, but it taught me to fish. Mm-hmm. So I knew how to do my research. I knew how to train myself without having to sitting in a classroom. Yep. And that's what the cybersecurity profession um, it really really does. Like, yeah. have you applied effort? If you have, then you know, ask me some questions. I'll help you. But don't come to me empty-handed, right? So yeah, um, yeah. So apply some effort. If that doesn't work, try harder. If, you know, do, do a bit of more research. And if you're stumped, reach out for a lifeline from uh, from from other people competing in those same events and those same challenges. All right. That's a great way, way to, to wrap up today. So as we do, um, if people want to follow along with the U.S. Cyber Games team, uh, you know, and the competitions that will be taking part in, is this something that that uh, audiences can watch virtually? Do you have to be at the events? Um, are there ways that that folks like me uh, or uh, list, listeners can tune in? So there, th- this is changing in real time. So um, mm-hmm. there, we are getting closer to like live esports. Um, I I do not believe we're quite there yet. You okay. can see scoreboards. You can see scoreboards. You can obviously... There's uh, video clips on social media from time to time during events. Mm-hmm. Um, you can certainly root root us on through socials, but um, that is improving. So just be on the lookout um, on different social media outlets for mm-hmm. US Cyber Games and the Cyber Team. Um, I, I'm this is changing in real time, so yeah. I, I 
Today, can you watch a CTF from end to end? It's very difficult because who would you watch? Would you watch an individual challenger? Would you watch an individual team? Right. Would you watch an individual event, the whole event? It just, there's a whole lot that goes on during the event. So keep, yeah. what, what I like is attending in person. And unfortunately, sure. as a coach, I can see it happening in real time and I can visit other teams, can't interface with the athletes, but I kind of get a sense of what's going on, where the struggles and challenges are and who's uh, doing well. Mm-hmm. But that that's certainly something um, it's already improving. Yeah. I, I, you know, I know there's Twitch for watching video games. Not quite there yet, but it's not far behind. It will not be far behind for sure. Now, is will there be uh, sort of recaps? Like if, you know, w- once you solve certain problems and once those sort of uh, challenges are sort of out of the competition, will are there any sort of like recaps of how your your team solved problems or anything like that? We haven't done them for for the large competitions, but um, for challenge walkthroughs, they're, they're all over the place. Cool. Okay. Um, I... I that's certainly something we can look into. Um, mm-hmm. See, you know, I talk with the staff and the mentors and the coaches to see how, how much of this can we actually release. Because a lot of times during our particular events, these challenges, this is the first time these challenges have ever been seen. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, you have to really make sure you're not you're not sort of showing the showing the end before it can be used by everybody. I suppose. That's right. So we mm-hmm. want to protect it as much as possible from event to event. Um, right. just, just so there's not a write ups, a lot of write ups that are floating around um, that events are just very easy to repeat. We, we actually want there to be authenticity to solving them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, you know, given others out that didn't compete in a, the competition a chance to go through them their selves as well. Okay. And if people want to just start poking around looking at the U.S. Cyber Games, where should they go online? Oh, my gosh. So we have a lot. Uh, our cat side team does a phenomenal job of, of, of keeping up with this. So mm-hmm. first, I would start with the U.S. Cyber Games uh, website. Mm-hmm. So U.S. Cyber, USCyberGames.com. Excuse mm-hmm. me. Um, I would start there and all our socials are on there. Um, and then I would follow some of our sponsors. Our sponsors are constantly helping us out you know, uh, with with uh, donating uh, you know, funds or resources. So I, yep. I think m- many folks that are, that are tuning in today will have heard of Meta CTF, Hack the Box. Oh, yeah. And they'll certainly have heard of uh, NICE and CISA and yep. Microsoft and the CyberWire and, and, and all of our sponsors. So I, I would I would uh, follow them online, go to mm-hmm. our website and, uh, you know, check us out on YouTube. Check us out on uh, on LinkedIn and Twitter, of course. Love it. Ken Jenkins, thanks for joining me today. I'm, I'm looking forward to following along with your, your team through the entire series, too, here. Thanks, Chris. Appreciate it. And thanks for having me on today. My pleasure. And as always, uh, thank you, all of you who are listening to and watching the Cyborg Podcast uh, on an unprecedented scale. We're delighted to have you all along for the ride. Uh, so before we go, I just want to have you go to infosecinstitute.com slash free to get your free cybersecurity talent development ebook. It's got in-depth training plans for the 12 most common roles, including SOC analyst, penetration tester, cloud security engineer, information risk analyst, 
Privacy Manager, Secure Coder, and more. We took notes from employees, employers and a team of subject matter experts to build training plans that align with the most in-demand skills. You can use the plans as is or customize them to create a unique training plan that aligns with your own unique career goals. One more time, go to infosecinstitute.com slash free or click the link in the description that's probably down there and get your free training plans, plus many more free resources for cyberwork listeners. Do it, infosecinstitute.com slash free. Thank you once again to Ken Jenkins and thank you all all so much for watching and listening. And as always, we'll talk to you next week. Take care now. How about some free cybersecurity training resources for you and your team? Just go to infosecinstitute.com slash free to get eBooks, training guides, and more than 100 cybersecurity training courses all free for cyber work listeners. Go to infosecinstitute.com slash free and start learning crucial new skills today.